students receive their A-level results, and this coming Thursday, it will be GCSEs. And it's a tense time for many of our young people. When Francis and I lived in Essex, our home backed on to a school, which was very handy when our children were younger. They could listen for the bell and then head in at the time when it was ready to start school and leave it that late. And at this time of the year, I can remember what it was like when the exam results came out and the students would gather and there'd be absolute commotion in the school and the surrounding streets. It was a good school. So many of the young people that were there were pleased with their news and teenagers would literally shriek with joy. They'd hug each other. And yet I could observe from a distance the disappointment, the pain and the worry on some other faces. The quieter students crestfallen as they made their way through the rowdy throng to head home to their anxious parents. From my vantage point, the emotional contrasts were so evident. The reality of brokenness and tears, somewhat unnoticed by others that were preoccupied, the majority that were gathering. There was that pain in the midst of the rejoicing. Just a few had the sensitivity to engage with those who were really low, to put a consoling arm around them. But what do you say in a situation like that? Well, the Archbishop of Canterbury tweeted last Thursday, Albert Einstein failed his history, geography, and language exams. Your grades don't define your ability. I thought it was good that he took a moment just to say something to those who were perhaps not done so well. And Sir Richard Branson once advised, treat failure as a lesson on how not to approach achieving a goal, and then use that learning to improve your chances of success when you try again. Failure is only the end if you decide to stop. Now, all this is good advice, but at that critical moment, on receiving the news of failure or through going through a time of uh, disaster, students and other people just need someone to come alongside them to believe in them, to pick them up gently, and to love them for who they are. For that's what God does for each one of us when we don't make the grade. Our Creator loves us unconditionally. We are His children, and He believes in us. We are loved so much, so much that our Father sent His Son into the world to come alongside us, if you like, to save us and give us a new beginning. And we shall be remembering that in bread and wine today, the cost of coming alongside us to actually give us that new beginning. And by his spirit, he brings us a counselor, a comforter, who is there. We're not alone. Uh, we're more than what we achieve or do. We are family. And God's everlasting arms are always there for us. This morning, I'd like you to have that picture of the school, outside the school at exam times, as an image, if you like, of the cauldron of contrasting emotions and experiences that are here in this world today. If you like, a microcosm of the reality of life. 
And there'll be people here today. Some of you have come to church full of joy. Some of you are coming just feeling okay. Others of you are up against it or you're worried. And there'll be some who are actually in deep depression. And it's in this context, I'd like us to hear those words that Mame read for us from St. Paul, chapter 12, verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Friends, we need to be aware of those who are weeping in the world today. We live in a busy world and we get so caught up in our own lives and we need eyes to see those who are weeping. For despite all the connectedness of social media, so many people today are lonely and isolated and troubled, carrying their problems on their own. And it's one of the largest health concerns in our society today, and that's loneliness, being isolated. A study by the Co-op and the British Red Cross reveals that over 9 million people in the UK across all uh, age ranges of adults, uh, more than uh, the population of London, are either always or often lonely. 9 million people lonely, isolated for a whole host of reasons. And a place like this, a central hall where people can gather, is a place where we need to recognize that fact. I bet we're better at rejoicing with people than we are noticing those who are weeping and reaching out to them. I don't know if you remember that smoochy song that was in the charts, number one in 1975, 10cc. Uh, it's about not being in love. And yet it's a love song that says, I'm not in love, and then proceeds to give all the reasons why the singer was actually totally in love. It's one of those very clever songs that's been written. And at one point in the song, the words that are whispered into the microphone with great effect are, be quiet, big boys don't cry, big boys don't cry, big boys don't cry. Do you know the song? Oh, you need to get out more. <laughs> But I want to say, big boys should cry. And I believe the shortest verse in the Bible that we had read for us by Papa is so important. We heard it in our gospel lesson. Jesus wept. Jesus, who had all the hope, who knew eternal life was possible, who knew that if we lose our life in this world we could receive it in the next yet he wept with compassion at the death of his friend and it wasn't the only time jesus wept over jerusalem he wept in the garden of gethsemane i'd like to say today big boys do cry actually and girls and sometimes as Brothers and sisters, we need to learn how to not only weep ourselves for our own situation, but weep for the world. Big boys do cry. Steve Buddle, uh, an Australian author and psychologist, writes these words. 
All the stock definitions of masculinity prevent boys from dealing with the storms and subtleties inside their hearts. Only yesterday, as I wrote this, one of my oldest and dearest male friends told me that he didn't think he'd cried since he was nine years old. That's more than half a century ago. I'm hardwired not to cry, he said. I was nine when my father died, and I was determined not to cry in front of my friends or even myself. I think by that time I'd already decided I would never cry. And that's because only girls cry. It's almost like, I can't cry now. It's baked in. Actually, big boys do cry. And when they don't, it's so very dangerous. In 2017, the last set of statistics that we have, there were 6,200 suicides in the UK and the Republic of Ireland. And in the UK, there are men are three times as likely to take their lives as women. And in uh, Northern or the Republic of Ireland, it's four times as likely. And the highest suicide rate was men aged 45 to 49. Surveys have found that there's still a stigma around men seeking help when they're struggling to cope that they don't reach out for hope and they're often feeling like they've got no one that they can trust. 37% feeling they'd just be a burden to others. Issues that men face include job losses, employment issues, relationships or family problems, debt or financial worries, and loneliness. We need to wake up to the fact that there are many people in this world in despair. And we as Christians need to notice. The Samaritans encourage all people in despair to seek help, to reach out to them when they're struggling, and there are help lines for it. But I believe as a church, the children of God need to care. And we need to be better at caring for each other. We know that we've had uh, somebody in the past in this church who committed suicide. Great pain to us all here. There's a call to us to notice, not just leaving it to the pastoral visitors or the ministers, but all of us to be agents of trust and love and hope and healing. Are we a people who can be trusted? Do we rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep or mourn with those who mourn. Many years ago, I had a, an art exhibition in one of my churches in uh, Colchester. And one of my favorite paintings was by a local artist. Now, I'm not an art critic at all, but I was captivated by this one particular piece. And I wouldn't call it a beautiful painting. It was quite, quite darkly shaded, actually. But what grasped me was the eyes in the piece. Eyes of an old, wrinkled, worn woman. And the portrait drew you in to the eyes. Eyes that showed depth and beauty of the person inside what was being painted. They were eyes of love. Eyes belonging to a well-known woman. A faithful Christian servant who had 
responded to Paul's words, rejoicing with those who rejoice, but also weeping with those who weep. And as I looked at that painting of the saint Mother Teresa, it made me consider, what is beauty in God's sight? What is beauty in God's sight? And as I looked at that painting, I believe the answer is simply love. That's what made her a beautiful person. In Mother Teresa, we saw compassionate love. She cared for the physical and spiritual well-being of ordinary people. A love that was prepared to identify with her fellow human beings and rejoice with them, but also weep holy tears with them as well. Washington Irving, uh, an 18th century American author and theologian, once said, there is a sacredness in tears. They're not a mask of weakness, but of power. They speak more eloquently than 10,000 tongues. They are, are the messengers of overwhelming grief, of deep contrition, and of unspeakable love. If we are a people of love, expect to cry. In our epistle lesson, Paul was telling the Christians how they should behave. He was teaching them what it meant to live this beautiful life of love. Let me read some of the words. Love must be sincere. Hate what is eagle, evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly and sisterly love. Honor one another above yourselves. I could give you countless verses from God's word that are essentially about love. Unsurprising because God is love. First, we love God in response to his love for us. But then second, his love possesses our being. And when we love him, it overflows, or should do, to our neighbors who we put above ourselves. We see this in the well-known parable of the Samaritan. It's not surprising the Samaritans take their name from it. Where Jesus answers the lawyer's question about the identity of his neighbor. In the story of human need, uh, love is demonstrated as being more important as an adherence to ritual laws or racial prejudice. The Samaritan is unlike the priest and the Levite. Why? Because his compassion is not impeded. The love of God flows through him. He allows himself to be touched deeply by the plight of a beaten and dying fellow human being. Now, I'm sure you'd say, well, if there were dying human beings around about me, I'd respond. But what about those who are dying inside? The Samaritan was like Mother Teresa, someone who could see the misfortune of another and come alongside that person in love. I wonder whether, as God looks into our eyes, so to speak, whether he sees a beautiful life of love and compassion. Or have we become hard-bitten at times, sometimes through self-preservation, but sometimes because we're just so busy? I wonder whether 
as Christ looks at us, he sees a holy, devoted follower of Christ. In the Old Testament, Job 30, 25, when Job was suffering greatly, he defended his righteousness by saying, have I not wept for those in trouble? Has my soul not grieved for the poor? I believe Job's eyes would have radiated an inner beauty. And Jesus, of course, eyes that wept those holy tears, moved by Lazarus' death, seeing Mary's mourning, feeling love and compassion. And he had time for people. He had the whole world to save. And yet he poured himself out for them. Yes, he had hope. It wasn't though he was out without hope. But he knew the reality of being there for the outcast, the sick, the diseased, the possessed, the Gentile, the woman, the you and the me. Love means going the extra mile, allowing the needs of others to intrude into our plans and our routine. Love means rolling up our sleeves, seeing people as real people, needing love. And that can be hard and demanding. That's why Paul writes, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position and do not be conceited. Do not be snobbish, would be the Tony Miles' translation. Here but for the grace of God, go I. How would we want people to treat us if we were going through a nightmare? What if we were in their position? As someone once put it, folks got to cry together before they are friends. The problem is, I suppose we worry about becoming broken ourselves. Who will pick up our pieces if we come alongside others? But actually, the Christian way is one of self-sacrifice. As Jesus gave his whole self for others, there was a glorious resurrection and remaking. We're to share the suffering of others. And as we do that, we're on holy ground. Because as we give our lives for others, the power of God is at work in your life and in theirs. So I'd like you to think today, who do you know of that just needs a little bit more time, needs you to notice them? Ask yourself, am I taking time to notice or am I actually being consciously blinkered? And it's not just coming alongside those who are weeping, but actually taking time to rejoice with people too. And that can be hard as well. Uh, sometimes it's not easy to rejoice with someone when you're going through a difficult time, is it? And yet we need to do that. I can remember once a, a friend of mine, I was in the Colchester circuit. Uh, he's a younger minister. And I invited him to come and preach in my church. I've been there for a while. And I went to preach in another church. And then I came back and uh, asked how he got on and the, s the steward said oh 
It was absolutely fantastic. We had the blessing of having Wesley in the pre-pulpit this morning. He was a breath of fresh air. Just what we needed, a real change. I found it hard to rejoice with him that day. <laughs> and yet, isn't that what it's really all about? Being selfless? Not about us, but about the good of the whole? I call you today to rejoice and to weep and remember our young people in our prayers today. Let none of them become a statistic. Amen. Let us pray. God of infinite grace and mercy, help us to see need with clarity, to reflect thoughtfully, to weep tenderly, to act lovingly, and to give generously. We want to be your faithful servants who make a difference in this world and bring the fragrance of your grace to others. May we be sustained by the heartbeat of your creative love. And may we be inspired by your son's wisdom and compassion and renewed by your spirit's healing and enabling power. All for the sake of your kingdom. Amen.